nature is in us and we are in nature. So, <laughs> so we're killing ourselves. It's not that we're killing Mother Earth, we're killing ourselves. So the problem is, is that we don't know how to fix it. And you know what, Desi, it's fine to be honest and to say, look, I don't know what is the right answer, the right path, but I'm gonna try. listening to the sustainability issue a podcast about sustainable fashion and mindfulness it is about calling out the worst practices of the fashion industry the things that have led to the devastating impact fashion has on the natural environment and the human lives involved in the process it is also about the people within the industry who are driving the change for the better and finally it is about you about reconnecting to our nature as human beings and realizing the big impact our everyday actions have on the world around us. I'm Desi Gurgieva. I'm so happy that you're here and let's dive right in. My guest today is Farah Liz Palaro. She's a mentor, an educator and an author. She started her career as a fashion designer 20 years ago Later on, she's launched her own consultancy for trend research, brand management, and teaching. She's worked with some of the world's most renowned international brands and organizations, such as Del Pozzo, Dolce & Gabbana, Borsalino, Luisa Villaroma, Maragoni, Coventry University, and so many more. In 2018, she published her book, Fashion, Business, Spirituality, a call to the light workers of the fashion industry which is sort of like a manual for fashion professionals who want to approach their work in a more mindful way. But um, the practices and the wisdom shared in it are applicable to pretty much everyone. So I'm really, really excited to welcome her and chat with her today about all that. I'm very happy to welcome you, Farah, to the sustainability issue. You're a mentor, an educator, author of the book Fashion, Business, Spirituality, a call to the light workers of the fashion industry. And I'm really curious for you to tell me with your own mm -hmm. words um, about your story. How did you get into fashion and how did your journey start? Well, I got into fashion same as almost everyone. I think it's, it's an industry that attracts sensible people I think um, when you were asking me that I was I was remembering suddenly had a flash of myself going to this fancy fashion school in uh, Madrid and signing up and I was so happy that day so so full of joy so my I I I was always interested in fashion. I was very much interested in the craft because I don't know if it's because I'm Italian and we grew up in this thing of the made in Italy. So we love the craft, the quality of the garments since a very, you know, since child. Uh, but I, it was when I was um, a teenager, I think, that I realized that I wanted to, to be a designer. Mm. And and but I started studying law school because when I went to home and said to my father, I want to be a fashion designer, my father asked me, Why do you want to be a seamstress? And so well, it was a different thing. <laughs> mm. So he said, 
you know, the, the typical old Italian man, old school, you first do a proper degree and after you can play with that thing. Mm. So I did law school first. <laughs> and, and it's very common because you have a lot of fashion professionals that they either, they did, you know, architecture or whatever other thing, and then they moved to fashion. So I did first law school. And in my last year of law school, I said, okay, enough. I have the proper degree and I went to sign up for fashion design. So that was my beginning. Um, I was very much passionate about the craft, but I did not start studying fashion right away, uh, which, which, you know, Desi, it all also helped me to understand pretty much what type of fashion design studies I wanted to do because in order to pay my studies, I start working in fashion uh, um, stores like everyone, you know? So it's a great way to enter the fashion industry when you enter to the product and you start working, you know, in a store and you understand, you know, the consumer and you understand the quality and so on. So I'm very happy to say that I start fashion not at 18, <laughs> I start fashion at 22, 23, I believe. So I was already more conscious, in, yeah. you know, in between conscious, you know. Yeah, thank you for the intro. Wow. And indeed, I think it's the best way to learn about the industry from the inside is uh, actually, you know, to start working as early as possible, as you say. Um, I discovered your yeah. book. Uh, I contacted you actually after I discovered your book because I find it so interesting. I've been reading it in the last um, month. Um, there's a quote I stumbled upon. And you say you should keep one eye on the sewing machine and another on the news as a fashion designer, as a person in the fashion industry. So I was wondering, yeah. can you say anything about this and what it means? Yeah, and, and it's something I, I've been saying a lot in the last time, in the last years, you know, especially the last two years after the pandemic. Um, fashion is a service industry. It's a service industry. It doesn't matter if you sell products or services in fashion, but you're a service to the to to, to people because you dress people, right? So Fashion needs to always be very much aware of what are the changes, globally speaking, in society, because you need to go together with those changes. And something that is very, very strange, uh, because it's something, you know, fashion has always been evolving when society was evolving. If you see haute couture, then luxury pret-a-porter, then fast fashion, then affordable luxury, all those things, all those changes were part of the societal evolution. And now there is this thing that is so hard for the fashion industry to evolve into a more environmental conscious <laughs> industry that is so strange to me. And this is why I say to people, you need to have an eye in the machine and an eye in the world because you are being you are building products and services to support human beings. So you need to be very much aware what is the, the, the direction the world wants to, to intake. And, and it still is, you know, also this, this, I mean, you see the fashion shows and you see that many companies are still doing the things like 30 years ago, 
when the world has changed completely. So it's is this what I mean by that quote? And and you know, to be in a way a trendsetter. You know, if you want to be in fashion, you need to be a trendsetter. It doesn't matter if you're a designer, if you're a marketing manager, or if you're a product manager, you need to be a little bit ahead of what the times are requesting. You know, yeah. it's not anymore to predict just, you know, yellow is going to be the next color. Mm-hmm. No, you need to understand what is the direction the world is mm-hmm. moving into, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually, that you say it's fashion is a service industry because when we talk about all the problems with the fashion industry now with sustainability and the complicated supply chains and the environmental issues um i think there's always a question of does this happen because of the demand like can we put the fault you know on the consumers or is it the company's fault and um when yeah it's just I guess an interesting thing to think about and relate a little bit to my next question. <laughs> um, you mm-hmm. have worked for some of the world's most renowned brands and institutions, such as Dolce & Gabbana, Wizavia Roma, Eta Porte. And um, mm. at the same time, you know, there are many things in the fashion industry um, that now are exposed that are wrong, like on environmental issues, um, the untrackable supply chains. But still so many people are mm-hmm. attracted to this industry. Um, and so how do you see this and why do you think this is? Well, um, the first thing that I would like to tell you, Desi, um, I was always very much concerned about the human well-being in, comp- in these companies since I was working in them. So I must confess to you that I was not paying that much attention to the product because as I always said, it's not that I don't think it's important to have uh, a sustainable product, a completely sustainable product, it is. But if you build a beautiful sustainable bag and the, the conditions of that worker that create that bag are not ethical and not sustainable, and not that person is not paid properly, that person is not working in proper condition, you can have a beautiful, sustainable, cotton, whatever bag, that that bag is not sustainable. Because who, who creates it had they not had a sustainable environment either, right? And as I, as I always said, you know, Tesla used to say that the world is vibration, energy, and frequency, right? Yeah. So every single product we share as human beings have a vibrational energy. So that product is going to have the low vibrational energy, the pain that person that created the product was having. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how, how crazy it is. Um, so I was very much concerned there's the about the human rights, if you allow me, the human well-being, the human aspect. Mm-hmm. And that was always my crusade. When I was inside, when I was a consultant, when I was... And the thing that happened, of course, any environment has good people and bad people. You know, we live in a world that is uh, based on polarity. So you have light and darkness everywhere right? And, but the thing that fashion has is that there is a lot of, unfortunately, uh, responsible, you know, managers, uh, art directors, head designers, that is people that now that I'm a therapist, I can understand Mm -hmm. that 
they were very much living in trauma. Yeah. And this is why they have most of the time abusive behavior and they treat mistreat employees and so on. This is why it's so important. And I'm happy that finally fashion industry is speaking more openly about that taboo of mental health, right? Mm. Because the problem starts there. So why it attracts, you know, so much people? Because fashion as a craft, as a form of art is a beautiful system right? Mm -hmm. And it it is the same as, you know, music or art or other form of creative expression. It attracts sensible human beings. It it can create beauty so much. Mm -hmm. So this is why it still attracts. And and that is the good side of fashion. But then the other side, there is a lot of trauma and abuse. And the problem is that until now, as I was saying, no one was speaking about it openly. And, and, and it was a cycle that no one was breaking, you know? So this is why it was continuously attracting sensible people that became traumatized. And at one point when they would become head designers, they were starting to traumatize the people above because this is what they learn. If you do not heal trauma, trauma repropose, okay? If you do not heal trauma, you will repropose trauma consciously, unconsciously. So this is what um, what happens, you know, uh, is my personal opinion uh, as a mentor, what I see. And this is what I try to in my small contribution, try to help heal, you know, this healing process. I love that. It's so interesting. And I really love uh, your work and that you in your field that you're trying coming from or trying to make this change and become people more aware of this human aspect because the truth is that we need this in every field no matter what field we work in because you know people are traumatized in the end in most places Uh, but for sure we can start from the fashion industry and then we can go on yes and and let me let me add this thing when it comes to trauma you know we hear the word trauma and we're like oh my god trauma Mm -hmm. trauma is nothing but your perception of an event okay which means that there is people that pass through horrible events and they are not traumatized because their perception of that event was not nothing tragic Mm -hmm. and there's people that maybe just someone telling them something specific can traumatize them you know so it's how you live things you know is your filter in a way of things then of course where there are situations that are obviously creating trauma you know let's not talk what is happening in some places of the world like Afghanistan and so on I mean I'm not talking about that but when I'm talking about trauma is something that every single human being carries every single human being carries there are levels of course right so so this is and then it also easily gets from one person to the other right or like yeah. yeah, you repropose it. You repropose it somehow, consciously or unconsciously. I mean, especially when it comes to the fashion industry, you know, uh, you enter, uh, I wrote this in the book, you know, you enter as a junior and you have to do a lot of photocopies and coffee and you you are mistreated, you are the last in the road and so on. And so when you arrive at the top level, somehow you, you keep on doing that to the juniors. Mm-hmm. You see, you don't break it. It's because yeah. you assume it's the way things are. Yeah. 
So you're a junior, you need to pass through all the BS I pass in order to arrive. No, why? Why? I mean, I am so lucky, as you know, to, to collaborate with fashion schools and institutions. And let me tell you, I have had students, 21-year-old, 22-year-old, 23-year-old, that they were genius and they had everything it takes to be already an art director. It doesn't matter the age they had. But because they enter a, a fashion company and they don't have experience, they have to pass through the whole traumatic thing. Mm. And no one will ever give them the opportunity to bypass some, some things. So I'm not telling you don't have to do the experience. You have to learn many things. But you don't have to traumatize people with the same behavior you had. Because, you know, a part of you say things, that is how things are supposed to be. Yeah, you can break them. You know, yeah. when you arrive to the top level, break them. I understand. Do not repropose them. Mm, you can always break, break the pattern, and be the one who, <laughs> who breaks. Of course. Them. Um, of course. Was there one moment that made you um, realize, oh, that's what I want to do, and I want to help other people? You know change their patterns and um, I'm just curious how did you move from the being part of the industry as it is to coaching and your businesses yeah well like like everything in life you know uh, you know what they say you make plans and God laughs <laughs> you know this it was like that so it was, I didn't look for it. It was by case. And the starting point, it was in 2009 when I started teaching uh, by case, because I remember I was working for Dolce Gabbana back then. And a friend of mine told me, you know, the IED uh, fashion lab was, was looking for someone to teach the kids how to design bags. And, and, and I would say, oh yeah, I would love to, to try. I never teach, but and I enjoy it so much, Daisy. I, I discovered the love for mentoring and my heart opened it like <laughs> explode. And I said, this is my thing. I, I think this is my thing. And the more I was teaching, the more I was understanding that the type of approach that I have is not just teaching you to do a specific skill. It was about life. And and I remember, you know, in all the schools, my school, my students were saying, like, you're teaching me more about life than, you know, the technical aspect of merchandising. So, and, and it was like a natural process. And when I wrote the book, when I was writing the book, and I was going back to all the experience, I, I had the ha moment. I said, okay, I want to study, you know, to add these studies to support people. Mm -hmm. um, and I choose mentoring because from the diverse systemic uh, therapies that you have, I, I didn't want it to do, you know, psychoanalysis or psychiatry that much. You know, I, that was not my goal. I wanted to be in balance between the personal aspect and the professional aspect, you know, mm -hmm. and mentoring was something that I love as approach. And I finished the studies in London of mentoring, professional entrepreneurship mentoring. And then it was natural. It was natural. But if you ask me, 
how everything started, it was when I was a child. May I tell you this? Sure. Because your talents are always in you. And I remember since I was a little child, I had the complex of the priest because everyone was coming to me with their problems. Everyone. <laughs> so, you know, everyone was seeking advice and they were coming to me. So I was you know, having the conflict of the priest that yeah. is there hearing your problems. So interesting. So I didn't have this expression yet, but um, yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. Yes, it's something we have in Italy. I just translated in mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. Del Prete. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was, so it was, for me, it was, I suppose, natural to, to see how to give clarity to others, you know, in their problem solving or finding their path. Yeah. I think sometimes with time and experience, we somehow just come back to, you know, what we naturally are actually given as a talent because very often we are made to take decisions very early in life. And then, you know, you do different things. And then at the end, like, you know, just later on with time, the dots start connecting. I like a lot this expression by Steve Jobs and yeah. I believe in it. Yes. And, and you need to allow time to pass because one thing is what you see about yourself and one thing is what others see about yourself. And you need to create the match between the, those two, you know? So when it comes to the talents, when I'm doing my courses of self-discovery and talent development, I always ask my students and my and mentees, I said, question yourself, what are all those things, you know, friends and family always ask you help with, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when, when you have, I don't know, when you need a specific support about something, there's always a specific friend you ask for that support, you know, so is there the magic? But that person may not know the reason why people always ask them to that specific support. You know what I mean? So you need to have awareness of how others see you. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, astrology says one thing is your sun sign and one thing is your rising sign. And people see you more as your rising sign, but you see yourself as your sun sign. You see, so it's the same thing. Yeah. for people who are not into, yeah astrology probably this is uh, completely confusing but i know exactly what you mean <laughs> yes 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 it's 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 insane but it's true it's people see you in a different way and and that it gives you a lot of tips of your talents because many times people see your talents very clearly Mm-hmm. And your imposter syndrome, your out to sabotage mode, whatever is blocking yourself to see yourself as it is. Yeah. And I think being aware of this, just being aware makes you already a more compassionate human being. Yeah, yeah it's very beautiful. Um, my podcast is about fashion and mindfulness. And so I definitely see the connections between those two things um, in a way. And I know that you do too. Um, so I'm curious, what do you think? Is the fashion industry going to become more sustainable with more people um, awakening and um, becoming more aware of um, of those energetic and uh, psychological things happening behind the scenes 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. The fashion industry is already shifting in a very low, uh, slow pace, but it's shifting. And as I always said, it's shifting not with the big brands, it's shifting with the small emerging pioneers, young, full of energy and creativity brands. They are the, making the shift. Um, when it comes to mindfulness, uh, it's, you know, what comes to my mind is, is the same as the word God. I always ask to my to, to to people, what do you mean by mindfulness? It's like the same thing when people tell you, do you believe in God? Well, it depends what you mean by God. <laughs> you know, it's a word that has been used so much, especially in the last two years, for obvious reasons. That you know, and this is something that bothers me about fashion. And I wrote a post, you know, when it comes to spirituality as a trend, it's insane that people use it as a trend. Um, that now you see, you know, magazines and, you know, whatever, everywhere using, you know, mindfulness. And it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool, mindfulness. It's a powerful philosophy. It's a powerful principle. So when you use those things that can be so beneficial for human well-being in a such superficial way, it can harm people. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that fashion as the system mm -hmm. is embracing mindfulness at all. <laughs> I believe that there are some people in that system that truly believe in this and is trying to push forward fashion. But the system is still using same as sustainability. They see these concepts as greenwash and ethical wash, as I say. Mm -hmm. um, and many times, you know why? Not because they are bad or they don't want to change. It's because they can't. They can't. There are so many companies that their structure, Desi, it's so based on dynamics that you cannot change unless you completely destroy that company. Mm -hmm. That this is why they don't change. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw in business of fashion, uh, I don't remember his name, but the ex-CEO of Adidas, he quit his job on 2019, late 2019, and he quit it in order to open a completely sustainable Supreme brand. You know, Supreme, the brand to try to do something yeah. Supreme but sustainable. Yeah, I remember. And he said it. I had, you, you heard about it, right? I, I had to leave. Yes. yes, I had to leave Adidas because they cannot change. It's not that they don't want to. Yeah. It's because the only way in many of those systems to change is to completely close the company yeah. and start from zero. Yeah. And some companies cannot afford that. Yeah, I understand completely. I mean, I've read interviews with um, the directors of like brands, like mid-size, not the biggest ones. And uh, in order to change to a more sustainable approach um, with regards to the planet and people. So the way things are made and how workers are paid, you need to just build from scratch, basically, yeah. Re really rebuilding yeah. everything. So I don't know, uh, in the end, I'm guessing it will take like uh, restrictions on a political level in order for those companies to change things because from the business perspective, it will never, you know, yeah yeah and in a very humble way when it comes to sustainability um we don't have the answers yet we don't know how to to make it we don't know how to make things right we don't know how to fix the problem that we have created as human beings 
We do not know yet how to properly fix the problem we have created as human beings. Yeah. To Mother Earth, to the planet, to ourselves. Because what people don't understand is that sustainability is not just for something external, mm-hmm. it's something internal as well. Yes. You know, we're interconnected. There's yeah. one of the principles, the universal principles, interconnection. Nature is in us and we are in nature. So, <laughs> so we're killing ourselves. It's not that we're killing Mother Earth, we're killing ourselves. So the problem is, is that we don't know how to fix it. And you know what, Desi? It's fine to be honest and to say, look, I don't know what is the right answer, the right path, but I'm going to try. Yeah. That is really huge. Is and pro- the problem is that many companies are not even trying, right? Mm-hmm. It's powerful just to do small steps. I really appreciate it and I think it's important. And as much as I hate greenwashing, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. in the end, it's better than nothing. If everybody starts talking about it at some point, things will shift sooner or later. But it's also, you know, it's also very, very like a friend of mine that she's um, one of the real sustainable activists, you know, because there are a lot that they are not, but they they have created the, the you know the the character and the stuff, and they sell themselves very well. But um, she always said, you know, as as individuals, we have huge power, you know, as a consumer, we have huge power. So it starts from us for sure, but. At the same time, what's something that fashion could do is to train people mm-hmm. into a proper consuming behavior because there is a lack of information. Every time I see useful information when it comes to environmental issues and sustainability is by small brands yes. or, or young people like you with your platform that you're wanting to inform, you know, I, I don't see... I don't see, well, you know, I don't care about saying names, but I don't see a podcast from the Louis Vuitton group <laughs> talking about these things. Yeah. You know, why not? Every time it's small brands indeed. And every time I talk to small brands, to their founders, they always say, yes, we are in the role of an educator. We have to talk to the people and basically from zero, just educate them about what this all means, what's the impact mm-hmm. of every single piece and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to talk again about your book because there are so many um, interesting things in it. And um, you talk about um, that some people um, live more in uh, fear and some people live more in love and um, about this mm-hmm. shift from fear to love. And I found this very beautiful. And I'm wondering, um, do you have any tips on how we can shift our way of life more from fear to love? Yeah, well, first of all, you cannot live in love all the time. <laughs> the, the, the day a human being will be able to live in love all the time, it will be the day we finally arrive to that level of purity and, and superhuman beings, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's normal as human beings that we are falling into fear sometimes. And fear is not necessarily a bad thing. Fear is that primitive side of us that prevails us to survive, that help us survive. That is perfectly fine to have fear because fear is that thing that, you know, when you are about to put yourself in danger, it tells you no, no, no. The problem with fear is when you live in fear all the time. And that is, unfortunately, most of the people. 
Um, so when we make a decision, we all know, we all feel it in our body, how if that decision is based on fear or on love, how? And this is one of the tips I give. Hear your body, pay attention to your body. When you are sending an email or when you are buying something or when you are applying for a job, or when, are you doing it from a place of, oh God, I have to have that. Or, you know, that you feel that oh, your body is like tense, that is fear. And going back to the energies, you know, and how the universe works and how consciousness works, you're going to block everything because fear blocks. Mm-hmm. That's what fear does, yeah. right? Exactly. Love, it, it expands. The only thing love can do is expansion, right? This is why some, some spiritual guru says that God is love because love is creation. Love is expansion. So when you are making a decision, again, pay attention to your body. If you are completely relaxed and in that state of bliss that we all know how it feels, if you make a decision from that point, it going is going to go well. Is the only direction love takes, light, right? It goes to the light. It, it illuminates everything. It expands, right? Yeah. Um, the thing is that we live in a system, in a society that is programmed to be in fear for many reasons that, you know, <laughs> we could do a podcast of three hours speaking just about yes. this. But <laughs> we all know, <laughs> we all know we live in a pretty much fear-driven society. And there are many, you know, reasons and not necessarily, oh, you know, the, the, the how you say that people that talk about complots and all the stuff no it's not necessarily that it's because you know society for example when it comes to consuming products it it, it is like ego driven so you can buy things you 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 think you need that's the reason you know selling you more, more problem more products same thing when it comes to the fear everything that is fear but here is when mindfulness is very useful as well you know so be mindful to sustain the moment and and do not do not live in a reactive way. You know, uh, uh, another tip that comes to my mind, Desi, is what many spiritual philosophies teach you. And Kabbalah, for example, is very good in this. Mm-hmm. To always be proactive instead of reactive, mm-hmm. you know, because that makes a difference, you know. That is a big Or like Osho used to say, you know, Osho used to say, wait 24 hours before making a decision. Mm-hmm. Yep, we are going to put all these recommendations in the notes of the podcast. I actually never read Osho, but I definitely will. We were just talking about this today in yoga class. Oh, well, more than read it, I recommend you. His books are okay, but I recommend you to see his videos. You're going to laugh so much. Mm-hmm. You're going to laugh so much because, you know, when it comes to the yogi masters, mm-hmm. each one has their own mastery for example krishnamurti he was the master of intellect right mm. sadguru he calls himself the master of cows mm, I love and Sadhguru. osho was the <laughs> exactly osho was the master of transgression mm-hmm. he's so funny when he was doing the lectures you laugh so much because mm-hmm. he's he was saying 
whatever he wanted. He didn't care about the things he was saying. So he's very funny. I'm going to watch something tonight. Do you have any other advice for people who are listening to us for starting to take a more mindful approach in our daily life with regards to fashion choices, but not only? Um, yes, I will say to, to, to everyone listening, something that I read this morning, um, that it was a newsletter I received from one of, one of the coaches I, I follow, and she's, her name is Tara Moore. She's an amazing uh, American coach. She, she has written uh, books for self-help and, you know, especially for women. And she was saying this concept of we are all transitioning mm-hmm. uh, we are all transitioning and and that is something that is is very interesting to pay attention to because there's a lot of people especially you know when it comes to my clients a lot of them are having trouble to understand how to reinvent themselves and maybe their companies are not going good in this period and of course covid has changed a lot of things and we are in a transitioning phase Mm-hmm. And she was suggesting uh, this beautiful exercise. And she said, imagine you are going to be hired as a manager for a company that needs to transition from one type of business to another, mm-hmm. right? How you will approach that, knowing that it's a process, knowing that it's a transition. So I will say the same to people. First of all, have a look to her amazing work. For me, you know, it's very important also always to quote the something that I hear from other one, you know, Tara Moore. We're going Um, to share this, yeah. Yes. What if we understand that what life is asking us is to be the team of transition Mm. from one type of world to another world, right? I love that. And, And I think that will, at least to me, it gave me a lot of understanding to many things and the responsibility we have as human beings, but also the understanding, Desi, that is perfectly fine. It's not, it's, we don't need to freak out. It's not that the world is going to end. It's that the type of world that we built so far is not existing. And we need to build a new one mm-hmm. that is not necessarily, as I always say, a result of the old one, right? Yeah. And, and there is so much light we can create. You know, a friend of mine said, you know, that Renaissance started in Florence after a plague, after a, a pandemic. Always. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this. So the transitioning thing is it's something that I think we it will help us to approach life in a different way, more mindful, <laughs> more sustainable, for sure. Mm-hmm. I believe in this so much. I, indeed, I think the biggest changes towards something positive start after you know a dark uh, period, mm-hmm. and we are definitely have been experiencing this in the last years. And uh, really, I see also more people starting to, you know, question things more, question how things are more, and also I think it's such a great mindset to. Um, end this conversation because we're almost at the end but yeah that um we don't have to be a constant but we are always changing yeah always what are you up to right now where can people get in touch with you um find you you have a podcast coming up um 
tell me everything about yeah it. yeah yeah the postcard is going to come late because <laughs> i'm terrible with technology but i will figure out that no what is coming soon is the membership uh why because um, you know, I always wanted to do a school, an academy, and I have already created an academy for fashion professionals with free resources that you can find on my website. I, I created workbooks for self-development and many other resources that you can download for free. And it's like a small book. So you have a lot of material. And that is always something I will continue to create for fashion professionals. But as you know, I work with many types of people, not just from the fashion industry. I work with the people, not with the industries, right? So because either my ex-students or my ex-clients are always asking me for more material and support to them, um, I try to understand a way I can still provide mentoring support without, you know, the prices for sure of the one-on-one, which are, of course, expensive based on, on of my time. And um, and I figure out that a membership is a great resource because I can steer teaching and, and giving uh, material and resources and mentoring for a small, tiny little fee that you pay, you pay every month so I can pay the website and the designer and all that. Uh, but at the same time, what is more important for me is, is that people can met because I always wanted to create a place where all these like-minded individuals can connect and, and interact. So the membership allows me to create this member page where people can connect directly and create positive synergies because we have in common the values that we're sharing, right? So that is going to be ready by, I think, next week, probably, if I manage to resolve all the technical things in Mercury retrograde. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but this is what is happening. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I think the things you teach are really so universal. So it's really not only applicable to the fashion industry, but really to everyone. Farah, it's been so nice chatting with you. Is there something else you would like to share? I want to thank you for the opportunity to share with your community and and thank you so much for what you're doing. I mean, it's so important. You know, we're in the era of Aquaria. Aquaria is about communication and community. Mm -hmm. So keep on that that road because that means that you are in synergy with the energy of the world. (laughs) oh thank you so much (laughs) i love this thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been great pleasure chatting with you and getting to know you Hey everyone, thank you for listening. Find Farah on her website. You're going to find it in the show notes and on Instagram. And uh, contact me on Instagram as well at the sustainability issue for anything else that you would like to hear on the podcast or whatever else comes to your mind. Please follow the sustainability issue on Spotify and um, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and talk to you next time.